open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. While they're resetting all the slides, back to the beginning, please. I want you to think about a couple things this morning. How do you prove you are what you say you are? You got that? How do you prove you are what you say you are? If you say you're a father or a mother, you say, yeah, easy, right? Produce the pictures of the kids. Well, maybe not. It might not be your kids. So you've got to produce the actual kid. But even then, are you only proving you're a biological father or mother? Are you really proving that you fathered and mothered those children? If you say you're an athlete, how do you prove it? Rather than just a couch potato. What do you have to do to prove that? If you say you're a student, how do you prove that? Straight A's? Or you're not a student? I don't think so. Keep this verse in mind this morning. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What proves you're a disciple? Or better emphasis, what proves you're a disciple? We want to talk about that. If you were with us this summer, we found out when we're talking about discipling and making disciples, how we can do this. How can we disciple? How can we make disciples? In what we call the Great Commission, where we are told, first we have to assume we are disciples, we're told to go and make disciples. At the end of the verses, Jesus says this, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. He doesn't leave us alone. He enables us to be able to do this. But he also told his disciples, just like the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, why did he do that? Because a little bit before he told them this in John 16, it's to your advantage I go away, for if I don't go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. How are we able to be disciples? How are we able to make disciples? Only with the enablement of Jesus Christ and with the help of the Holy Spirit. And this morning we're going to talk about that second aspect how in discipleship and making disciples and being disciples, how do we get the help of the Holy Spirit? You're in Galatians 5, starting in verse 13. I follow as I read. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another... Watch out, you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This chapter gives us the fundamentals of how we get the Spirit's help. Now, some of you know this verse from Ephesians 5.18, which tells us, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And a lot of people don't understand, what's that talking about, being filled with the Spirit? Well, really, it's the same thing we're talking about this morning, how we get the Spirit's help. And it starts in verse 16, where he says, walk by the Spirit, or walk by the ability given by the Spirit. Now, how are we able to do this? This is what we were told in Ezekiel 36, what Israel was told by prophecy, and this is what we have now. And I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. We walk by the Spirit not only for the Spirit's help, but we only do it with His help. So walk by the Spirit. It's interesting he uses the word walk, doesn't he? We know other places in the New Testament, we're told to run, right? Run the race, run with endurance, run with perseverance. Sometimes the opposite. Flee these things, run the other direction. But this is one of the places he says, to do this, to get the Spirit's help, you have to walk. What does that imply? It implies... Slower movement, except for you power walkers. We're not talking about you this morning. We're talking about unhurried movement. It implies continuous movement. You can't run forever. You can walk and keep walking quite a ways, can't you? And the implication is you continually keep moving. And it also implies the ability to be more aware of what's around you. When you run, you miss all sorts of stuff. You can't see everything, but when you walk, you're more aware of what's going on around you. And we're to walk by the Spirit, by the ability the Spirit gives. Now, how do we do that? Well, he's got some more phrases in here. Look at verse 18. To walk by the Spirit means I have to be led by the Spirit. That means He takes the initiative. He takes the lead. And if He takes the lead, that means I... Follow. That's what disciples do, right? They follow. And so I'm to be led by the Spirit. Look at verse 25. He says, you live by the Spirit, or you live by what the Spirit says. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Then the last phrase, let us also keep in step with the Spirit, or keep pace with the Spirit, keep up with the Spirit. Will the Holy Spirit move faster than we can keep up? The answer is... No, but he may move faster than we think we want to go. And our job is to keep pace with him, keep up with him. 
So how do we get the Spirit's help? What's it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It means you walk by the Spirit, you're led by the Spirit, you live by the Spirit, you keep in step with the Spirit. And now you're still saying, I still don't think I have this. Keep stick something here in Galatians 5. Turn back to Romans chapter 8. Those are the fundamentals of getting the Spirit's help, but what's the function? What do we have to do to be part of this process to walk in the Spirit or walk by the Spirit? In Romans 8, we read the passage after this this morning. But look at verses 4 to 6. After it reminds us He sent His Son for us, to condemn sin in the flesh. Verse 4, "...in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace." A couple more phrases in here about the Spirit, aren't they? What do I have to do to accomplish this being filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit? I have to make a decision first. And the decision is this in this passage. I put those in red for you. Two phrases that mean the same thing. Walk according to the Spirit. Live according to the Spirit. That phrase means I live in harmony with the Spirit. I live in partnership with the Spirit. I live. I decide to live in agreement with the Spirit. Why do I have to do that? Because Amos 3.3 reminds me of this. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? I have to decide first. Remember, I'm being led by the Spirit also as part of this, that I'm going to be in agreement, in harmony with the Spirit. By the way, a sidelight. Do you understand if you're in agreement with the Spirit? you'll be in agreement with each other on things that count? You say, how do you know that? What happened with the early church in Acts 4? When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. They had everything in common. When they agreed with the Spirit, they agreed with each other. If you can't agree with each other, what's that tell you? You're probably not in agreement with the Spirit. You have to make a decision for this process to work, for the Spirit's help to decide, I'm going to be in agreement with Him. Secondly, you have to make a determination. That same passage in Romans 8 on the screen in red, verse 6 says, I have to set the mind on the Spirit. I have to determine to focus on the Spirit. Why would I have to do that? Because the Holy Spirit evidently talks to us. Hebrews 3, 7, the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart as in the rebellion. On Sunday nights, we've been looking at the seven churches of Revelation. And to each one of those churches, it says, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If the Spirit was talking to them then, is the Spirit talking to us now? The answer is yes. And I have to determine to set my mind on what the Spirit says. Well, what's He going to talk about? John 16 on the screen. When He comes, that's the Holy Spirit. 
He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. What does the Holy Spirit evidently talk about to us? Sin, righteousness, judgment. He talks to us about truth. He guides us into that. It says whatever He hears, He will speak. Well, what does He hear? The last phrase. He'll take what is Mine and declare it to you. He hears Christ's Word. He hears God's Word and He declares that to us all for the purpose of glorifying Christ who then glorifies the Father. Go back to Ephesians. Go to Galatians and take one more book. Ephesians chapter 4. How does this work? How does He talk to us about these things? Ephesians 4.30. You've probably heard the phrase. The phrase just says this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Well, what grieves the Holy Spirit of God? Look at the passage. Just look back to verse 25. What grieves the Holy Spirit of God? Falsehood or lying. Verse 26, anger with sin. Verse 28, stealing. Verse 29, corrupting talk out of your mouth. Verse 31, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. What grieves the Holy Spirit? Sin. When he tells me, don't sin, don't do this, and I do it anyway, that grieves him. By the way, when in your mind you're being told and you think it's just you talking to yourself, oh, I probably shouldn't do this, who do you think really talking to you? Who do you think is really communicating with you and reminding you, you don't want to do this, you don't want to say this, you don't want to continue this? Turn to your right a few more books. 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. How does the Holy Spirit talk to us? Verse 19 of chapter 5 says, Do not quench the Spirit. Some of you have a translation, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Well, what are some of the things the Holy Spirit tries to fire us up about? Verse 12. Respect those who labor among you. Verse 13, esteem them highly in love. Be at peace among yourselves. Verse 14, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Verse 15, don't repay evil for evil, but always seek to do good. Verse 16, rejoicing always. 17, praying without ceasing. 18, giving thanks in all circumstances. What's he try to fire me up to do? The positive things that God wants me to do. And if I do don't, don't do those things, I put out His fire. I quench those things. So when you're getting in your mind the thought, I should do something for that person, who do you think it's coming from? God, the Holy Spirit, is saying, this is what I want you to do. 
Go back to Galatians 5. We're talking about walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. And I have to decide, number one, when He talks to me, I'm going to agree to Him. Number two, I have to determine to listen to Him. And remember, when I'm having certain thoughts, if there are things He would normally talk to me about, then it's Him talking. And then when you do verses 22 and 23 of chapter 5, the result of me listening to Him and following Him is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what should come out of walking in the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit. Living by the Spirit. Now, before we talk about these things, let's talk about a couple more factors that are important in this passage. There are a couple other factors important to get the Spirit's help in discipling and being disciples, in showing the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 24, look at the first factor. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with His passions and desires. You can't get the Spirit's help in discipling unless you belong to Christ. Well, what does the Holy Spirit have to do with that? Remember what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel, I said to you, you must be born again. Unless you confess your sins and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, and then you're born again, which is the Spirit who helps you do that, you don't belong to Christ. Two verses you read this morning in Romans 8. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. If you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, you do not belong to Him. You do not have the Spirit in you to help you. What you need to ask this morning is for the Spirit to help you to confess your sin and accept Him as your Savior. That's what you need this morning. But if I have the Spirit because I've accepted Christ, then I have His help. I belong to Christ. Second factor. The assumption here is you know the purpose of having the fruit of the Spirit. Well, that's an easy answer, isn't it? Isn't the fruit of the Spirit to help me look more spiritual? To help me look more holy? To help me look righteous? To help me live holy? Isn't that what the fruit is for? Go back and look at verse 13 and 14 of chapter 5. This is where we started. Got to look at the whole verse in context, the whole section in context. Verse 13, he says, Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The first thing you understand is people need to be served. And that's what we're called to do. Secondly, then, you want to serve others. That's the assumption. Look at chapter 6. Again, verses 22 or 23 in the midst of a whole section here. What will I want to do to serve others if I have the, the fruit of the Spirit? Verse, chapter 6, verse 1. Restore those brothers caught in sins. Verse 2. Bear one another burdens. Verse 6. Share all good things with the one who teaches. Verse 9. 
not grow weary of doing good. Well, what good are we supposed to do in verse 10? Let us do good to everyone, especially to those of the household of faith. He's talking about serving others. Discipling others. So what's the purpose of this fruit? This fruit is especially needed to serve others. Do you understand that fruit, whether it's on the tree or on the vine or on some little bush, that the fruit is not for the benefit of the fruit? The fruit's not for the benefit of the branch. The fruit is there for someone or something else to take it and use it for their benefit. We tend to think this fruit is for us. Not. It's to serve others with. And we can't serve others without it. That's why we need the Holy Spirit's help. Well, let's look at some features of this fruit. Again, this morning we're just giving an overview. This is something eventually we'll come back to. Look at verses 16 and 17. What are the features of the fruit? Walk by the Spirit, you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 17, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The first feature of the fruit is it's in direct opposition to the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh are in conflict with each other, which means I cannot show the fruit in the flesh. Look at verses 19 to 20. We won't read all these again. 19 to 21. It tells you what the flesh wants to do. And gives us a pretty good list. We know it's more than this. The flesh wants... And we always think, well, look at this. This is what I always want to do. This is what... I always want to do sin, right? No. Not if you're walking by the Spirit. You don't always want to do sin. Because you look at verse 17, it says, these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Evidently, you don't want to do the things of the flesh if you're walking by the Spirit. What do you want to do? You have a desire to show the fruit. That's supposed to be your desire. And if it's not your desire, you've got another problem. You understand that? And by the way, not because I'm saying it, because Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. So if you just see bad fruit, what's that tell you? You're not a healthy tree. Now you may say, well, what if I just see a little bit of good fruit? Well, you got a couple of possibilities. First possibility is the plant is still a little immature. That's why verse 24 says, those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If you're immature, you're probably not crucifying the flesh. But secondly, we know from other passages that the fruits, that the tree is only bearing a little bit of good fruit. It probably needs some more nourishment, some more care. It may need some pruning. Some of you gardeners know that, that grow stuff. 
that you have to prune the plant to get better fruit. You have to care for the plant. The plant may need better nourishment. 1 Peter 2, 2, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Maybe you're probably not getting enough of the word of God. But understand, the fruit of the Spirit and the flesh are in direct opposition. What we may normally want to do is not what the fruit of the Spirit is going to be. Secondly, look at verse 22, or 23. He ends this with an interesting phrase. He gives us the fruit of the Spirit. Then he says, against such things there is no law. Now, that doesn't seem to make sense with the whole thing. Why would he say that? Well, we know he says that, number one, because the book of Galatians is about a group of people who were thinking they had to keep the law to stay saved. And so the law is a big topic in the book of Galatians. But here, what is reminding them is this, and it's really two sides. For the fruit of the Spirit, there's no law prohibiting it, but there's also no law legislating it. You understand the law keeps us in check from the outside in, right? You drive and you see that speed limit sign, or you see that police officer sitting there with a radar gun. From the outside in, you drive the speed limit. That only works when somebody's there to watch. If nobody's there to watch, it's then our inside that's going to direct whether we're going to abide by the speed limit or not. The same thing's true of the fruit of the Spirit. You can't do it from the outside in. It must come from inside out. The reason for that is this fruit is singular. Did you notice that verse 19? Verse 19 says the works of the flesh, plural, Verse 22 says, the fruit of the Spirit, singular. What I do is plural. What the Spirit does is a singular package. This is a package deal. Now, when we study it, we study it in parts because that's the only way to do it. But we understand these really aren't just parts of different fruits. This is all part of the same fruit. And it's fruit versus works. You say, what's the difference in that? Well, works are what we do ourselves, right? Works of the flesh. We do those things. Fruit is done through us. It's not done by our work. I can't do this fruit by my own work. That'll tell you right now, that's what many of us try to do. We think that's how we have to do this. It doesn't work. And it doesn't work because of the fifth feature which is really heavy. It took a lot of thought for this fifth one. You ready? These qualities are of the Spirit. Was that hard to figure out from verse 22? And you say, well, why why is that important? Because it reminds me of this, that this is not natural. This is not normal. This is not learned behavior. This cannot be faked as a complete group, this whole group of fruit. Because the problem is at times... We see all sorts of unbelievers who demonstrate some of this, don't we? Some of us have friends and neighbors who do some of this stuff better than we do. You think Hitler was ever gentle? Probably. Are Mormons self-controlled? More than we are. But any one aspect of the fruit doesn't mean it was of the Spirit. There is the natural sight of some of these things in man because man is made in the image of God. Do you understand that? Romans 2 reminds us that. 
when Gentiles who don't have the law by nature do what the law requires, they're a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. Even unsaved pagan can demonstrate moral things at times, can't they? Because they're made the image of God, not because this is work of God in their lives. The fruit of the Spirit is unnatural to us. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why if we try to do this ourselves, we will be completely frustrated. If we try to manufacture this ourselves, we will be completely downtrodden in this. It will fail every time because it can't be done that way. When God works in us, the results are always beyond us and things that we can't do. Do you all understand that? When it's God working, when it's me working, I can make anything happen. The results are of me. But when God works, it's beyond me. We're told that all the way through Scripture. Psalm 1, 1 to 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. Well, boy, he's doing all sorts of stuff, isn't he? But look at the results. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. Am I able to do that? No, that's God and his word working through me. And then that happens. It's beyond my ability. Philippians 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is my presence, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I'm glad the verse does not stop there. Because my salvation would be pretty poor if it's up to me to work it all out. If God's working, what happens? It's God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Can I do that last verse myself? No, when God works in me, it's results that are beyond me. Results that I cannot manufacture myself. So then I know it's of Him and not of me. Look back down at Galatians 5. All of these features remind us of something. That the fruit is centered on Christ and the Holy Spirit. Flesh is centered on me. Flesh is self-centered. When I do things in the flesh, I want the credit. I want to look good. I want things to benefit me. That's not what the fruit of the Spirit's about. The fruit of the Spirit is centered on Christ and the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's those who belong to Christ. It's living by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. If the focus of any of this is on me, it's not of the Spirit. I have to focus on God. I have to center this on God. Go back to John 15. John 15 gives us a picture of this, a figure of how this works. Now we're talking about how do we get the Spirit's help in discipling and being disciples? What do we have to do to get the help that is promised to us We have to walk in the Spirit. 
You're in John 15. I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. What's this all about? It's about that idea, abide in me. The reminder is this whole process centers on God. It centers on Christ. It centers on the vine and the vine dresser. So what do I have to do first? I have to focus on my relationship with the vine because he says, apart from me, you can't do anything. That's why I have to be in partnership with the Holy Spirit. To remind myself I'm in Christ. I must be in agreement with that relationship. I've got to walk with Him. If I do that, the second thing that will happen is, I'll remember, verse 7 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Well, who will bring His word to my mind? Answer that question. Who will bring His word to my mind? It's the Holy Spirit. That's why I have to determine to listen to Him when He talks to me. Thirdly, then, I have to respond. Because verse 10, he says, you love me, you keep my commandments. I have to keep in step with the Spirit who will help me respond to what I've heard. And the result of that is, verses 5 and verse 8, I will bear much fruit. But you know what we try to do? Well, I wasn't very loving to my wife today. I'll just be more loving to her tomorrow. I wasn't patient with my kid today, so I'll just be more patient with my kids tomorrow. I'm not showing much self-control in that area, so tomorrow I'm going to be self-controlled. And it doesn't work. Why? Because we're starting at point four rather than point one. We try to do it by works rather than let the Spirit do it. So if I don't focus on my relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if I then don't remember the word that Christ wants me to follow, what to do and what not to do, if I don't respond with the Spirit's help, the result doesn't work. If I do, the result is, by this is my Father glorified, I bear much fruit and I prove whose disciple I am. What will prove today that you're his disciple? And how will you try to do it? By your own power? Or by walking in the Spirit? And listening to when he talks to you and reminding yourself when you're in your mind thinking about verses, thinking about what to do and not to do, this is God talking to me. Let's pray.
Father, each of us this morning have to determine where we have not been listening to you. Where we have not been walking by your Spirit. And Holy Spirit, you are talking to us this morning. And if we're not hearing it, then either we're not listening or we don't belong to you. Help us today to start listening to you, to walk by you, to walk in partnership with you, to live according to what you tell us and remind us from God's word. We pray for your help. Amen.